Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. Give me the faith to lead. 
Father, we uh, thank you for all the ways that you are at work in this world and in our lives, in this church. Thank you that um, no matter what's happening in life, you are present. And we come today to declare that uh, we love you, we worship you, and we want to open our hearts to you. Thank you for being present with us in our worship today. And uh, we ask that you will help us to know you more through Christ. Amen. Welcome uh, to worship today. Those of you who are here in the building, those who are watching on streaming, glad to have you here. Take a moment to greet each other. And as we did last week, let's extend the greeting time a little bit more. So feel free to walk around a bit, introduce yourself, meet new folks. Good morning. In your bulletins, there's a flyer for the Empower to Connect conference. And I, it, I am just so excited. I can't even tell you how excited I am about this conference. It is um, for adoptive and foster parents and for parents who have kids who have anxiety issues, anger problems, or problems with sensory processing. It's for those kids who are in a hard place to um, help them to know that they are safe, that they have adult, adults that will listen to them, and to know that they are precious. And that, to me, because of my adoptive children, just when I'm with my children, I want you to know that you are precious and all the hard things that you have had in life, that we love you and you are safe and you can talk to us and that you are precious to us and to God. So I'm going to cry for you guys, but this is just so exciting to me, and I'm so glad that we can bring this conference here um, to the Houghton Fillmore area. So we are joining with the Fillmore Church, and the conference will be at the Fillmore Wesleyan Church on April 7th and 8th. That's a Friday and Saturday. It's from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. both days. And we're asking for a $10 donation to attend, and that covers the cost of your workbook. And you can go to our website to get tickets and a little more information about the conference. Um, the conference, it looks at the brain, what's going on in the brain, what's going on in the child's brain, the stress, how to make connections with the child. And then it looks at the love of Christ and how does Christ love us and how does Christ love this child. And it's just a great thing to look at. This is a practical ways that I can actually help you and that you can feel loved and supported. So I would really encourage you to come, even if you can just come one day. The first time I went, I just went for one day, and it was great and empowering for me. And if this is not for you, if you are not an adoptive or foster parent or you're not a support system or work with kids who are adopted or fostered, Um, I encourage you to find a family that you think would benefit from this and offer to babysit for them or offer child care or offer support to them in some way. 
So if you have any questions, come talk to me, and I would love to talk to you more about it. Thank you. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has lavished upon each of us. Before he spoke creation, the God of heaven knew
to do that. Uh, we're also, when we pray, it's, it's not just me praying, it's all of us praying. And so this morning, we're going to uh, invite you to be a part of, the, of offering prayers today. We invite you to uh, offer just one sentence prayers. It might be something related to something in the bulletin. It might be something related to things in the world that are not here. It might be something in your life or things that are burdening you. But uh, just to take, we're going to take a few moments of praying together, and I want to invite you, if, if you can stand, maybe do that where you are, and just offer a one, two-sentence prayer for something specific, something, uh, something that is, is a burden to you, that we're taking to the Father. And uh, as we pray together, if you would like to come kneel at the altar, you're welcome to do that. Take a few moments of silence to prepare our hearts, and then uh, let's pray together. Father, we come today knowing that you hear us, that you invite us to pray, to bring to you the burdens of our hearts and our world. So now, hear our prayers.
Father, we pray for our nation. Ask that you would uh, continue to pour out your spirit on us, that we would be uh, a nation that cares about each other and the world. Pray for the leaders of our nation, time of turmoil and difficulty. We pray, Father, for uh, the Kasalis as they continue their work with, with, with Bible translators. We pray for those who uh, minister to the persecuted church and they would bring hope and your grace and your presence into very difficult circumstances. We thank you for hearing our prayers today. Those that we have spoken, those that we have, we have prayed in our minds, and we know that you hear us, and we thank you for that truth. Give us the assurance of your presence and your spirit at work in these things and others. We offer our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. After the reading, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Matthew 6, 19-34 Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
Grace, that was awesome reading. Thank you. It's terrific. There are lots of questions that go through our minds as we figure out or think through what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? And one of the questions that at least I wrestle with, I suspect you might as well, is how do we... How do we handle the everyday needs of life as a Christian, as, as a citizen of the kingdom? What's the mindset, what's the perspective about the everyday things that all of us face? 
that all of us deal with. There are a variety of theories about what you do with these things. So on one end, you have some people who say, you should just give away everything you have and let God take care of you. And maybe a few other people. And you have the other extreme that says, you need to take everything you can. You need to to collect everything you can because it's a blessing of God. And the blessing of God is you become wealthy, you become rich, you get everything possible. And on the one hand, I have to tell you, there's a little bit of me that, that admires people who can live in such a way that they give away everything and trust God. And there's a little bit of envy in me that looks at people who have all of this stuff and seems called a blessing from God. But the, pro- the reality is both of them, I think, miss the mark. Both of them are, are not quite seeing things the way I think Scripture teaches us. And Jesus is addressing this in the Sermon on the Mount, in this passage we read today. He's talking about just everyday stuff. And, and the thing that makes me feel better about my own struggle with it and yours is that we aren't the first people to deal with this. This is obviously something that the people sitting in front of Jesus a couple of thousand years ago are wrestling with also. How do we live in this world and, and, and handle the, the everyday needs of life as disciples of Jesus? And reflect the spirit and the mindset of the kingdom as we do that. And I think this is what Jesus is addressing in this passage we've just read this morning. He talks again about money. Now, you know, Jesus has been talking about money throughout this, this sermon. And what you find when you read the teachings of Jesus, a lot of what Jesus says is about money. And, and we look at this and say, man, he's talking about money again? Well, I think it's because it's so important to life. I mean, you can't live without a certain amount of money. You you need money to buy food. You need money to buy clothes. You need money to have a place to live. You need money for a lot of different things in life. And I think what Jesus is saying is that money is not bad. And possessions are not bad. They're actually blessings of God. And we ought to see them that way. And Jesus is not saying when he's talking about money here or anywhere else that, there is, that it's wrong to put money aside for, you know, something that may happen that we can't quite, uh, can't quite fathom at the moment. It's not wrong to put money aside for when our, our income changes. It's not wrong to buy things like insurance and, and things that are, are planned and well thought about as we think about the longevity of life. Jesus is not saying you shouldn't be doing those things. In fact, I think Jesus would say that's wise, it's wise to do those things. But I think he is saying, be careful that those things don't define you. Be careful that those things don't become what you obsess about. Be careful that those are not the things that drive your life, how you think, what you do. I suspect Jesus is a little bit incredulous as he speaks to this crowd and as he then through history is speaking to us that that we would actually think that something as temporary and as vulnerable as money and possessions might actually bring us security. 
When Jesus says in this passage, in verses 19 to 21, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Why? Because it can disappear so easily. It can be gone in a moment. A movement of the stock market. A thief. And our possessions... I mean, we live in this part of the country where rust on our vehicles is just one of those things we live with, right? I mean, it's part of life. And and the things that we have decay and are taken away. and, And eventually, he's saying, at some point, we are going to leave this earth and all of the stuff that we have accumulated will be nothing. The phrase is right, you can't take it with you. And Jesus is saying, don't, when he talks about storing up, he's talking about, you know, obsessing about it, of making that our goal, our life purpose, is to get as much as we can because somewhere deep inside we think that's going to bring us security. If we just have enough, then we'll feel secure, we won't worry about things, we won't fret about things, and, and we'll feel like life, we have a handle and a control on life. And all it takes is for us to hear the words of John Rockefeller, who was one of the richest people in the world, when he was asked, how much money does it take to make you happy? And he said, just a little bit more. And if that's the case with someone who has more than any of us could ever imagine, then it's certainly going to be the case with us in our struggle. It's just not true. You can never get to the place where what we have, money or possessions or whatever, the, whatever we're talking about, things that we collect, things of this earth, it can never bring us security. It can never make us feel like people were important to other people. And so Jesus says, don't store up, don't obsess, don't make that your goal of life, these things that can disappear in a moment. Instead, make the goal of your life the things of the kingdom. So be sure that you are generous about the kingdom. Yes, put aside money. Yes, be wise about how you spend it and what you do with it. But let the let your, if you're going to use this phrase, let your obsession be with how much can I give away, with how generous can I be, not with how much can I keep. Because what you give away for the kingdom, what you give away for... for the church, what you give away for the the work of God in the world, the generosity we show people, the needs of the world, that becomes eternal. As he says, that kind of of treasure, it, it doesn't disappear. It lasts forever. The problem we have with thinking that the stuff we have can bring us security is that that creates an atmosphere of worry. And so the second half of this, Jesus talks about worry, about anxiety. This, this word he uses, he says, don't worry about these things. It, it's a word that, that is more than just don't worry about it once, but don't, don't, again, don't obsess about it. Don't make this all of your attention. Don't, don't, Let your life be controlled by this kind of thing. And quite frankly, if we think the stuff we have is going to bring us what we want, then we can't help but worrying about it. We'll spend our lives protecting it, caring for it, 
nurturing it, and that gonna, and we're going to worry that something may happen to it, which is ludicrous because Jesus says something's going to happen to it at some point in time. This word that he uses here is used in the Old Testament in Exodus 5 when Pharaoh and Moses comes to Pharaoh and he's let my people go. And, and Pharaoh's response to his leaders is, have the people focus their attention on their work and not focus their attention on the words of Moses. And that word, focus their attention, that phrase, is the word that Jesus uses here about worry. So don't focus your attention on this stuff because it will cause you to worry about it. And it will create anxiety in you. And and it will be the thing that you obsess about. It will be your life. Jesus also talks about this in Matthew 13. He tells a parable of a man who goes out and scatters seed. And some of the seed falls on the, on the path. And it just sits there because it, the, the ground is so hard. And then the birds come and eat it. And, and, he, talks, and he says that symbolizes people who the word is said, spoken to them, but they just ignore it. And then some of the seed falls into rocky soil. And, and that is like, that's like the, uh, the p- people who hear the word and they receive it. But the, the pressures and the persecution of life and the difficulties squeeze it out of them and they run away. And some of it falls on good soil and it produces this abundant harvest. And some of it falls into thorny soil. And in this soil, the seed gets in there and it starts to grow, but the thorns choke it out. And Jesus says that this is like people who hear the word, but they all too quickly, it's crowded out by the worries of this life. By the cares of this life. By an obsession with this life. See, it's not just a bad idea to do this. It is spiritually threatening to us. Jesus says in verse 30, he says to them, why are you worrying about all this stuff? Why do you have so little faith? To worry about these things, to obsess about them, to to make them the focus of our attention is to have little faith. Because when when all the dust settles here, Jesus, his response to our struggle with possessions and our struggle with money and our struggle with worry and all the ways in which this can become an obsession to us, his, his solution to this is not to pound on us and to browbeat us and, to, and to, to make us feel guilty. His solution is one thing. It's to remember who God is. Remember who God is. And so, in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't worry. Why? Because your Heavenly Father takes care of them. And if He takes care of the birds of the air, don't you think He's going to take care of you? And look at the flowers of the field. You know, look how beautiful they are. Look how they keep coming up year after year after year. They don't worry. They don't spend their lives fretting about having enough. Why? Because their Heavenly Father takes care of them. And you are much more valuable even than they are. And you get to verse 32. And Jesus says, Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And He will supply your needs. 
really is the crux of all that Jesus is saying here, to remember who God is. Remember, he's our heavenly father, and he loves us, and he cares for us. Now, does that mean that, that he's going to, that we're never going to face difficulties about needs in this world, that we're never going to bump up into the situations of how are we going to deal with that, how are we going to handle that? I don't know where the money's going to come from, then, from for that. It doesn't mean, and Jesus is not saying that you'll never have to worry about anything. You'll never fret about anything. You'll never have to be concerned about anything. And when he talks about worrying, he's not talking about being unconcerned about life. Because quite frankly, sometimes life concerns us. Life is a struggle. We have needs. And sometimes we don't know how those needs are going to be met. That's just the reality of it. And we are concerned about it. And we pray about it. And, and quite frankly, there's a little bit of anxiety and worry. That's just being human. What Jesus is talking about is to not obsess about it. To not try to control it. But to trust Him. And to believe that our Heavenly Father will meet our needs. And sometimes He meets our needs by giving us the energy to work harder. Sometimes he meets our needs by pushing us to a place where we can do nothing but pray and surrender it to him. Sometimes he meets our needs in ways that we would rather he not. We want him to meet our needs in a way that makes us feel comfortable and life is easy and we can just sit back and relax. I find that God rarely does that. Much to my consternation sometimes. But I think it's because God knows that when, we're, when we come up face to face on those needs of life, it forces us to realize how much we need Him. And it leads us to prayer. And it leads us to realize that we, we, that's when we point when we offer our prayers and say, Lord, I, I can't do this without you. You have to help me. And God has us right where He wants us. Because in those moments, we learn how to trust Him. And in trusting Him, we learn the kind of God that He really is. So Jesus is saying, remember who God is. He's our Father. He created you. He loves you. And yes, life's going to have troubles. You get to the end of this thing, and again, it's one of those discouraging endings that Jesus gives us. I was expecting it to be better than this, but you get to the end, He says... Okay, here's, this, here's the thing I want you to know. Don't worry about tomorrow because you've got enough stuff to worry about for today. How does that help me? Really? Right? Really? I think Jesus is simply saying, life is a struggle. And you're going to have needs. And God's not going to take away the needs. He's not going to remove all of those things from you. Because he knows if he removed all of those things from you, what would we do? We would say, I can handle life on my own. I'm good. And that leads us away from the source of life and joy and blessing. And so he, he lets us live with needs and with uncertainty, with struggles. Because it leads us toward him. Source of life, hope, joy, blessing. And once we remember who God is, then then the command that Jesus gives us in verse 33 makes sense. So when you know who God is, then seek first His kingdom. Seek His kingdom above everything else and live righteously. 
often this phrase is taken out of the passage and, and it feels like it's just one more law, one more ritual to follow. But it's not. It's simply a response to who, G, who God is. When you know who God is, when you recognize that He's our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us and who meets our needs in the way that He knows is best, then seeking the kingdom above all else just makes sense. Because what we're really doing is we're saying, God, I want you more than anything. I want to live in a way that, that looks like you, that embraces you, that seeks you, that, that wants your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want your way of accomplishing things to be the way things get accomplished. I trust you. I want to turn my focus, my attention, everything about my life toward you. It, it, you know that, that feeling when you've lost something important? I mean, we'll spend hours, days, weeks, maybe even longer looking for something important. We turn over stuff, we look under stuff, we move things. And we do it two or three times to find something that is valuable to us. And that's what he's saying for us to do here. That we recognize who God is and we want nothing more than him. And living righteously is really just a synonym for that. It's embracing what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. To live with a being poor in spirit, mourning for the, for the burdens and the pain of the world and, and being humble and seeking righteousness and hungering and thirsting for God and all the ways in which Jesus describes how kingdom citizens think. That's living righteously. I was reading something recently that caught my attention and I've been pondering it and I think they're right. It said something to the effect of Living righteously doesn't mean that we're thinking about our own purity. That that's our focus. Because quite frankly, when our focus is on our own purity, we can easily become self-righteous. But instead, our focus is on God. Our focus is on Christ. And when our focus is on Christ, then we become the people God created us to be. Because we aren't doing it, He is. We're just simply opening ourselves to Him. We're surrendering to Him. And that's living righteously. It's living with the mindset of the Beatitudes. And I think that is what Jesus is talking about in verses 22 and 23 with this, this stuff about the eye. He says... Your, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when it's healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it's unhealthy, your body's filled with darkness. And, and the, the word healthy and unhealthy, there are some who translate that, who believe it can be translated as generous and stingy. And so it connects to the whole thing about possessions. But the eye is what we focus on. It's what we see. It's how we interpret things. And how we interpret things is how we live our lives. It's, it's why two people can have a conversation about the same subject, hear the same things, see the same things, and interpret it completely differently because their perspective, their focus, their eyes are different. And so Jesus is saying, what are your eyes focused on? What are you seeking? And I think that's where the earlier part of chapter 6 comes into this, where he talks about spiritual disciplines. 
Because how do we get our eyes to the place where we see the way Jesus sees, where we see God for who he is? The spiritual disciplines help us do that. They are a gift from God to help us do that. He mentions in the earlier part of chapter 6, as we talked last week, he mentions giving and prayer and fasting. But there are others too, silence, solitude, worship, study of scripture, serving. All these things that help us help us understand who God is. And, and they are disciplines that we practice so we learn who God is and so God can, can work in us and we discipline ourselves in order to know God, seek Him. I think the spiritual disciplines are a little bit like glasses, contact lenses, corrective lenses. I didn't bring my wallet this morning, but if I pulled out my driver's license, it had one restriction on it, and it says corrective lenses. If I drive my car without wearing my glasses and I get pulled over, I'm in trouble. I was doing a little research. In some states, you get a big fine. Some states, you can go to jail for that. It seems to me like that's not all that inappropriate if people are like me because I can't even see the big E on the chart when I go to the eye doctor if I don't have my glasses on. Some of you can identify with that. So you do not want me driving without my glasses. It's dangerous for me, anybody in my car, anybody else on the road, pedestrians. I can't see signs. I mean... It would be a disaster to do that. And it would be, quite frankly, you guys would look at me and say, you're being stupid for doing that. But there's something in us that, you know, that, I mean, I wish I didn't have to wear glasses. You know, it kind of, you know, gets to the bridge of your nose and, you know, you got to clean them and, you know, there's, where would I do with them? And you, you break them and, and all these things are a nuisance. And I used to wear contacts, but then my eyes would hurt all the time, so I couldn't, and I didn't see that well with them just because of the stuff, stigmatism and things. So I wear them. But, you know, part of me feels like, you know, I'd love to just try living without wearing glasses. But not only would it be dangerous, I, I would be running into stuff all the time. I wouldn't recognize, I mean, if I took my glasses off, I can't tell you what time it is back during the clock, which you may wonder, does he know what time it is? Uh, I shouldn't have brought that up, should I? I can't, I can't see your faces. I can't tell who anybody is. I mean, it's just, it's just a blur to me. And so if I live without glasses, not only would I, would I be able to exist, but my, it would probably cause great headaches because my eyes would be straining. And you say, it's stupid to do that. The glasses help you. They help you see. They help you clarify things. They help you understand what's out there. You can live. And that's what spiritual disciplines do. They feel sometimes like they are constraining us. And quite frankly, they are constraining us. They're constraining us to give up the stuff that is harmful to us and the blurry vision that we go through life living so often so that we can see clearly. We can see who God is. We can learn who God is. We can learn what life is about. We can see ourselves and the ways in which we are completely obsessed with stuff. And the worry that is overruling our lives. That's why we need the scriptures and worship and prayer. That's why we need to give and serve and silence and solitude and fasting and all these spiritual disciplines. Because they reveal to us who God is. And they often reveal what's going on inside of us. Jesus says that what you treasure determines what you end up being. 
how you end up living. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he says. And sometimes, you know, the chapter and verse divisions in, this, in the Bible are helpful to find things. But sometimes I think they, they, they take away from some of our understanding of meaning. Because if you go back to verse 18, which is, we, we talked about last week. You go back to the end of verse 18, and Jesus makes this statement after every time he talks about giving, fasting, and prayer. And he says, your heavenly Father who knows what is done in secret will reward you. So don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because if you want God's reward, it's not about stuff here. It's about using what we have for the kingdom. It's about being generous. It's about being faithful. It's about giving God control over whatever it is that we have. And wanting that more than anything else. It's hard for us because it's so countercultural. Everything that people tell us, everything that everything that we hear, we are bombarded with messages, thousands, thousands of messages continually that the way to live, the way to be happy, the way to succeed, the way to security is stuff. If you just had more stuff. I suspect you probably played the game of life. I grew up playing that as a kid. We played with our kids. It's a fun game, obviously, this family. They're very, they're very excited about playing this game, as you can tell. And, and in the game of life, you, you, follow the little, you have a little car, and you follow the little road all around the board, and you put little pegs in it, you know, husband, wife, children, whatever. And as you go along, you encounter all kinds of experiences. Some, some are positive, some are negative, some accomplishments, some things that, you know, reflect poorly on you, and you get all these things. And you go, you get a salary, and you go by paydays, and you collect your salary. And in the newer games, you have these little life tiles. And these little life tiles, which I'm sure you can't read them from here, but they have, they have dollar values on them. But they also have little things like, you know, you did something for someone, or you won this, or you won that, or you accomplished this or that. And, and you collect those. And when you get to the end of the game, everybody gets to the last place. And the instruction booklet says, basically, when you get to the end of it, here's how you win. You win by having the most money. That's it. You win by having the most money. And everything in the game is evaluated on money. Even when you do something nice for someone, that's worth $100,000 to you. But when, and when you get to the end of this, the winner is not the one who's most loyal to their friends. The winner's not the one who gives away the most or is the most generous. The winner's the one that has the most money. Now, in the game, that makes sense the way it is. But it does strike me that they call this the game of life. Because quite frankly, that's the message that keeps coming to us over and over and over again in our culture. It says to us, you win by having the most stuff. Security, peace, joy, it's the stuff. And Jesus says, the stuff's not bad. The stuff even can be a blessing from God. But the stuff isn't how you win. What you do with the stuff 
says a lot about how you live. Your perspective about this stuff is what kingdom citizens think about. And that's the challenge for us. Life is a struggle. We all have needs. We all have burdens. We all face things. In the midst of it, can we see and believe that God is good? That God is faithful. And we can trust Him. For just a couple of minutes, maybe 60 seconds, I'm going to put up on the screen uh, a prayer of confession. And I just want you to, to look at it, think about it, ponder it, and to, and to, to have that as you, as you think about what we're going to be we're thinking about in terms of what we do with what we have. And actually, I'm realizing we don't have to put a confession on the screen. So let's just take a moment and say, realize, Lord, you know our struggle. You know our burden. Forgive us. And give us grace to see things the way you see them and to see you the way you are. Father, forgive us when things become more important than you or others. When we obsess about them and we have little faith in you to take care of us. Give us grace to see you for who you are. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Before he spoke creation, the God of heaven knew life. Formed in his reflection, we are his glorious And his heart is good, he is all.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.